Welcome to Movable Dough. This is Steve Danielson. Join me as I interview and promote living composers. In this series of interviews, I talk with composers about their musical journeys, their past successes and setbacks, and their current projects. For more information about this podcast, as well as a complete archive of episodes, please visit sdcompose.com slash movabledoe. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Dough. I'm talking today with Dr. Dan Bradshaw, who currently serves as a professor at BYU-Hawaii, where he conducts the chamber orchestra and teaches music theory, history, and composition. He has written in a variety of styles from large orchestral works or interactive electronic pieces. He received his doctorate in music composition from Indiana University Jacobs School of Music. Through a recent composition from the Barlow Endowment, Dan wrote Delights and Shadows, a song cycle which was premiered in venues across the U.S. Professional honors include awards from the American Music Center, the Minnesota Orchestra, the Barlow Endowment for Music Composition, and the American Composers Orchestra. Dan Bradshaw, welcome to Movable Dough. Thank you, Steve. Glad to be here. All right. Well, I would like to start off today talking about Hawaii, because I think Hawaii is exciting to anyone who doesn't live there. <laughs> so I just want to know, how long have you been working at BYU-Hawaii now? Uh, I've been here for 15 years, and um, it's been it's been wonderful. You know, uh, it, it sounds exotic, and it is, but it's only exotic when I walk out of my office at the end of the day. For most of the day, <laughs> I'm here at my desk clicking uh, and typing and, uh, you know, looking at my computer screen like everyone else, especially during the last year right. <laughs> uh, while we've been isolated in our offices. But it is uh, it is inspiring to, to walk out of the office and see, you know, we've got some beautiful mountains up here and I love hiking uh, in the mountains here, um, uh, especially when you get up high. When you get up high, the, the whole sort of uh, flora and fauna kind of changes and it becomes closer to what uh, it was, you know, thousands of years ago in Hawaii, uh-huh. uh, all the ferns and the, and the beautiful plants up there. And when you get up high in the mountains, I, there's nothing like it. Um, and, you know, the beaches are beautiful. It's, uh, it's wonderful to be able to play year round with my kids uh, in the beaches and, and uh, in the water here. So, yeah. So I'm um, curious, you know, since you've been there for 15 years, have you seen an influence in from the Hawaiian culture in the music that you write? Um, so I wouldn't say that I've uh, I've adopted anything of the Hawaiian culture in my music per se. Um, you know, I uh, I think they do it much better than I ever could. Um, but uh, I would say that the the geography and the you know especially the ocean have have certainly inspired uh, certain aspects of of my thinking and my um, my composition, um, especially waves. I've been really fascinated with waves and the rhythm of waves and um or lack thereof and um just how just how they kind of work and so i think there's been a few uh a few discernible points in some of my compositions where you can kind of feel that uh, ebb and flow uh of wave like motion um and so that's that's certainly been uh, been something i've been fascinated with awesome well let's go back a little bit further to back to when you were growing up where did you grow up i grew up in provo utah um, my father, Merrill Bradshaw, taught at BYU there, uh, music composition for uh, 37 years. And so, so we were there uh, in Provo and uh, my mom was also a musician, uh, singer. And so I was, you know, uh, bathed in music uh, from a very early age. My oldest sister also, Karen, she, uh, she played the piano and she was a really uh, dutiful practicer. So early in the mornings, 
uh, she'd be playing Rachmaninoff and Chopin and um, all kinds of things. Um, but uh, yeah, I was just, you know, I'm just a small town Utah boy. Uh, uh, my, my dad kind of grew up on a farm and, you know, uh, we love to go camping in the high Uintas. So we're, we're still kind of connected to that um, sort of cowboyish uh, old West, uh, not too far back. Sure. So I'm, I'm still kind of a, kind of a country boy at heart. Well, I know you're, like you said, your dad was an influential composer, Merrill Bradshaw. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure as you were growing up, you were watching him, watching him work. Was he teaching you directly? Was he giving you lessons or were you learning from him indirectly or what sort of influence did he have on you? He, uh, when we were, we were on a study abroad in Europe, um, for six months and that's the only time he directly kind of taught me, um, in a, you know, weekly fashion on piano, um, with compositions, you know, I'd, I'd made a few early attempts at some things and he'd kind of, um, you know, it was, it was usually my mom kind of sitting there with me, uh, more than my dad, but he'd come by and, you know, she'd say, Meryl, come on, sit. What, what would you say to Dan? And, um, <laughs> so he'd say, oh yeah, that's nice. You know, you might try changing keys here or something like that. But, um, beyond that, no, I, it was, his influence was more, um, well, in, in Hawaii, we would say his mana, right? His spirit, mm -hmm. uh, the way that he approached the arts and uh, composition as a whole, I think um, just being around him and kind of gathering that through the years, I think is probably the biggest influence along with hearing his, his music and um, kind of seeing what was meaningful and important to him. Sure. That's so, did you always see yourself becoming a composer like him or did you have other aspirations when you're growing up? Um, you know, when I was, you know, growing up, I was going to be a soccer star. Um, yeah, so, so sports were important growing up. And then as, as I got into high school, um, I also started thinking seriously about being an architect, uh, kind of as we took some, you know, some of those career tests in high school and stuff like that. Um, I was thinking pretty seriously about that as I went on my mission. Um, but when I got on my mission, I started talking to people and, and, uh, when they'd ask, what are you going to do? You know, after, after you're a, you're a missionary and you're telling them the meaning of life and all of these really important questions. And then they ask you, so what are you going to study when you get home? <laughs> like, no, I don't know, you know, <laughs> it doesn't sound quite right. So, um, I, I somehow started saying, I'm going to study music. And as I said it more and more, I realized, yeah, that's actually, that's actually true. It's not, it's not me just, uh, giving them an answer. Um, and so I came back and I started uh, as a piano major at BYU and then um, gradually realized I, I started as a piano major, but I kind of knew by then that I wanted to get into composition eventually. Um, and about halfway through the major, I realized I really need to devote myself to composition now um, and uh, looked at the looked, looked at the piano classes and the composition classes and the composition classes were a clear winner for me. And, uh, <laughs> And uh, it was a great degree, great teachers there at BYU. So, yeah. So as, as I mentioned earlier, you did go on to receive a doctorate in composition as well. Uh, but I know that now also, you know, you have five children, you're a music educator. And so I'm just wondering, when do you find the best time to compose? You know, I'm a, a fellow music educator. I also have a large family and just sort of trying to figure out when to fit everything in is tricky sometimes. You know, I wish I had, uh, there are some composers that I envy who, who would have a really great answer to this question. <laughs> um, uh, I, 
was just you know, over the summer with Ben Taylor. I don't know if you know Ben, but he, he seems to have it all together. He's a freelance composer and he finds time to compose all kinds of music. And, and yet he's got lots and lots of kids and he stays fit and he just seems to have it all together. <laughs> I, I haven't discovered a secret yet, um, at least not for myself. So uh, the answer is a lot of times I don't with with a heavy teaching job like I've got. It's um, it's really difficult to find time to compose. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm also really involved in, in, in uh, a church job as well right now. Um, you probably understand something about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so there's a lot of different um, things dragging, dragging me away from composition and, and it's a struggle. It's a struggle yeah. to get back there. Um, I found that uh, maybe the most productive times for me are, are mornings when I, whenever I can get them and, uh, and good walks. Walking, you know, in the Beethoven tradition is a really great way to uh, get compositional ideas flowing for me. So, very nice. Now, you mentioned that you had served a mission, uh, and you and I sort of have a connection because we actually served a mission in the same place for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. We served in the Czech Republic, uh, although yeah. you you were a couple of years before me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I'd like to ask a couple questions regarding that experience, if that's all right. Yeah. Um, so being a missionary in the Czech Republic in the early 1990s, you know, so soon after the fall of communism, in that area, how would you describe the attitudes of the people regarding religion um, in that period? Um, well, it depended where you were in the country. Um, in uh, Bohemia, where um, where I served the end of my mission, uh, there was a pretty strong current of atheism and uh, or at least agnosticism. And so people were pretty wary of, of religion, although they were still at the point I was there, they were still very interested in, in us as Westerners. Mm-hmm. So people, you know, as we're knocking on doors, people would often let us in because we were from America not because we were re- ready to talk about religion. Uh-huh. Um, but the Czechs were really curious and, and you know, very literate, really high literacy rate there. Um, uh, very um, intellectually kind of astute people who were, were, interested in all kinds of things. And so they'd invite us in and talk to us and, and then say, yeah, we don't want to, <laughs> we don't want to, uh, we don't want to have you back, but you guys are really nice. And we're glad that we met you and, uh, you know, come back and, you know, have some dinner and drinks with us sometime, you know? <laughs> sure. um, so they were really, really warm and inviting, but, um, yeah, uh, not a lot of interest in religion. However, you know, we did find quite a few people to teach and, and have some meaningful, meaningful discussions with. And, you know, I feel like we did some good work. Um, in Bohemia, where we were, they were a little more uh, religious and, and uh, entrenched in Catholicism. You mean in uh, Moravia? Did I, did I say bo- Bohemia again? Yeah, you did. <laughs> That's right. Moravia, thank you. You know. In <laughs> um, Moravia, yeah, um, Catholicism was, was their excuse. Um, you know, no, I don't, I don't believe in God. I'm, cla- I'm Catholic. You know, <laughs> they say stuff like that. Um, uh, they'd say stuff that was, uh, you know, like that was, it was a mistake, but, um, but they would, uh, yeah, they'd say we're already, we're already set. So, so those were, those were kind of the two, uh, two things we were competing against. I've got one picture of me holding up a book of Mormon with this, with a communist statue in the background that kind of symbolizes the atheist aspect and the, uh, Catholic church, uh, spire, uh, on the other side of me that, uh, kind of symbolized the, the, uh, influence of Catholicism on the country there. So there you go. It's your, your whole mission in a snapshot. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, since you've been home, have you had a chance to study Bohemian and Moravian composers? Have Has that been an influence in, in your studies? Um, the, uh, to, to some extent, um, you know, Dvorak, I knew him pretty well before I left on my mission and, you know, loved the New World Symphony and, you know, had an idea of what, what he was all about. Um, the one I discovered on my mission, which has maybe been a little more influential, is Janacek. Um, mm -hmm. I love, uh, we went to uh, one of his operas in, in Brno and uh, I just, I love the music. Uh, it was a little more modern, a little more uh, daring than, than Forjak. Uh, wasn't so steeped in romanticism and uh, it really spoke to me. And I've, I've uh, got a collection of his piano works that I sometimes sit down at the piano and play. So I probably point to him as the, as the takeaway from my mission that's still with me in some respects. Yeah. And last question, have you had a chance to keep up with your language skills at all? Because I'm sure you spoke Czech pretty well by the time you came home. Other than just a very rare Facebook chat or something like that. <laughs> not really. Uh, not a lot of Czech influence in Hawaii, as you can imagine. <laughs> I wouldn't imagine so. Yeah. How about you? Oh, here and there, you know, I, I'll, I'll write an arrangement of a, a Slovak Christmas carol or, or things oh, like that for, for my you. choir. So I, you know, I'm sort of making myself still, <laughs> still use it. I, I do still sing uh, Dobru notes to my kids uh, oh, nice. every once in a while. So, yeah. <laughs> Dobru. <laughs> so, so speaking of religion, can you tell me about how your faith has influenced your career and your writing? Um, uh, it's difficult to articulate because it's, uh, such a ubiquitous influence in my life. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's just kind of at the very foundation. So everything's influenced by, in, in some way or another. Um, I would say in my music, the easiest connection that I can see is a real fascination with, um, the spiritual and, uh, even, um, kind of beyond death, kind of stretching beyond the veil of death. So, um, I've got a, uh, you know, a song cycle that's on texts of Lance Larson that um, one of them is called The Dead Praying For Me, um, and that's the title of the cycle, but they all kind of deal with this idea of um, connecting with the unseen uh, spiritual world. Um, and so that's been something that's been important in, in many of my compositions um, in one way or another. Um, <clears throat> there's also... Uh, you know, just, just the feeling of, um, you know, in college, I sing in a lot of choirs and that feeling of just, you know, singing praise um, to, to our Lord and maker is something that's also been kind of influential in my um, uh, philosophy of composition, I guess. I, I love that, uh, that feeling of um, connection with the divine. Sure. Um, you can see that, you know, I've written, uh, I'm, I'm working on a set of Alleluia's right now for choir. Um, and uh, a few years ago, I wrote another piece that was called Alleluia, you know, so <laughs> I may, I maybe need to get a little more inventive uh, <laughs> to do it. But, uh, but, you know, that's, that's the very, there's a very obvious influence. Um, but I would say that, uh, you know, uh, stealing something from my father, you know, someone said, say something spiritual about music. And he said, well, that's like saying something wet about water, you know, um, because all music for me is, uh, is spiritual in some sense. And it's, um, so it's, it's kind of hard to get away from that. Um, sure. Whether it's, you know, an alleluia or whether it's a dirge or, um, you know, an, an elegy, um, you know, all of those things are kind of expressions of, of something spiritual, I think. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. So I mentioned in your bio that you had received a commission from the Barlow Endowment for Music Education. Uh, and I heard that you are now the chair of that organization. Uh, so I wonder if you could tell me about your new role and how that has sort of boosted your career. Um, well, uh, yeah, I'm the executive director. Um, Ed Adams is, is technically the chair. He's the, the dean of the uh, fine arts and communications uh, at BYU there. And it's been great working with him and the other people in that organization at BYU. Um, and also it gives me a chance to um, rub shoulders and um, kind of learn from a lot of great professionals in the field. Uh, for example, this past summer we got together and uh, then the prize, the Barlow prize was for Sinfonietta. So each year they rotate and have a, a prize. And part of the prize is also a commission to write a new work. And so the composer that won this year, who is yet to be announced, um, will write a work for um, the London Sinfonietta, the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra, Alarm Will Sound, and the Oakland Symphony Orchestra. Oh, wow. Um, and so it was uh, an, a representative from each of those groups came to our meetings this summer. And, um, you know, we got we to chat and uh, kind of talk about what makes music great and, you know, how, how are we going to judge this? And um, those kind of discussions were really enriching. And just to kind of see music professionals functioning at that level and the energy that they have is really invigorating and, and, uh, and wonderful to be a part of. It's also great to hear all of the scores that come in from composers all around the country and all around the world. Um, and to kind of get uh, just a snapshot of what's happening in the compositional world right now. Um, and uh, so that's, that's really invaluable for me as uh, a composer who's isolated in the middle of the Pacific um, to kind of come in uh, to this, um, this uh, kind of connection point for all these different places, uh, all composers all over the world and, and to see what they're doing and to be a part of promoting them and um, uh, helping them in their careers. Like I was held by the Barlow endowment is really, really wonderful. Um, so it's, it's been great. Any thought about when the winner will be announced? Um, hopefully later this week. Okay. So by the time this airs, we should, should have the the winner. Hopefully we'll know that we'll know the winner. And and there's there's actually three programs that are that are and your listeners may be interested in this. So there's a Barlow Prize. Um, that's kind of the main the main draw. Um, but there's also a general commissioning program that's for any composers um, all over the world. They can apply for this. And um, what you do in that is that you get the group that you want to write a piece for and have them sign on saying, yes, we're going to perform this if this composer writes it. And then you apply and say, hey, I'll, I'll write this piece if you can give me $5,000 for it. Um, and if they're one of the winners, then then they get that $5,000 commission. Mm -hmm. uh, I already have the group that's set up to perform it. Um, so that's a general commission. And then there's also LDS commissions that function just like the, the general commissions, but they're um, specifically for Latter-day Saint composers. Uh -huh. And that's a much smaller group, as you can imagine, um, that applies for those commissions because there's not as many Latter-day Saint composers as there are uh, composers from all over the world. Sure. Uh, but uh, also a competitive, a competitive pool there. So. All right. Well, thank you for that information. I will be checking that out for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you should. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Dan, I got a, a question for you about your, your teaching load. Cause I know you, you teach there at BYU Hawaii. So when you teach composition classes, what is a lesson that you want all of your students to walk out the door knowing what is, what is sort of one of your, 
your hmm. principal lessons that you want to teach? Uh, wow. Well, I've got, I've got a few soapboxes, as, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. uh, as a teacher, but I think um, something that uh, is at the foundation of, uh, of what I do is that they need to um, write honest music. Uh, that they need to find what is, um, what is, you know, kind of, it's, you might talk about it as finding your voice. Um, uh, my dad talked about it as, um, finding the hidden fire within you. Uh, that's, that's from a hymn, uh, prayer is the soul's sincere desire, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, the most of a hidden fire that trembles in the breast, um, where you, you're able to capture, um, something spiritual that's inside of you and, and put it into music. Um, Augusta Reed Thomas, uh, a composer I had a lesson with at BYU um, uh, when she came as a guest, uh, she talked about it as a thumbprint. Uh, this is good, but I don't feel like it has your thumbprint on it yet. Hmm. What, what can you do that's going to make this uniquely you? Um, and so that idea, I think, is really important because so many uh, young composers come in and they're trying to imitate things that they've heard before. And that's that's natural and and, and I kind of encourage that in some ways, you know, try and imitate this composer in this composition or try and do something, you know, try and get them to kind of um, broaden their horizons to some extent. Um, but through all that, uh, hopefully it gives them a, a better idea of what um, is uniquely them and what what they have to say that's that's honest um, and true about uh, uh, about, you know, what what they feel about music. So, yeah, that's great. Um I read on your online bio that you enjoy stargazing and scuba diving, scuba diving, which yes. I thought was great because it's sort of pulling you in two different directions, the heavens <laughs> above and the, the waters beneath. Uh, <laughs> you know, what is it that draws you to those activities? Uh, I, I think you've just articulated it pretty well there. <laughs> Um, it's something about being immersed, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, down in the water, um, or, or just kind of, you know, the broad expanse of, of the stars. Um, uh, and then, you know, getting to know the little quirks that are, uh, involved in those things. So for instance, in the stars, I, you know, I, I love trying to find the constellations, um, and just pointing out those out. I'm not, you know, uh, really scientific in my approach. I don't, you know, I, I haven't taken any uh, astronomy classes or anything like that. Um, but, uh, but I just love the wonder of it. And, and it's kind of the same way for uh, scuba diving, uh, where I just love being, you, you know, you, you go down under the water and you're in a totally new world where you, you don't exist um, usually. And um, so I love, I love that. I love seeing the fish. I love, um, I love, the real uh, quirky things about scuba diving where you can kind of, kind of control your height by how much breath you hold in your body. I mm. think that's kind of cool. Um, you kind of have this, you know, buoyant balloon in your lungs that if you breathe all your water out, you, you know, you start sinking. If you, you know, hold, hold your breath, then you can, you know, uh, if you're, if your equilibrium's right, you know, you, you can kind of raise yourself up by holding more breath inside. Um, so uh, all those kind of details and, and just kind of uh, existing in that new world are, are really, uh, really fun. So. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have a chance to listen to some of dance compositions. Welcome back. I'm talking today with Dr. Dan Bradshaw. 
All right, we'll talk first today about The Dead Praying For Me, the fourth song in the cycle of the same name. Typically, we think about praying for the dead, not the other way around. Uh, can you tell us about the song cycle and how this movement fits into the whole? Yeah, so um, this was a commission from, I, I think it was the Mormon artist group at the time. Um, Glenn Nelson contacted me um, about doing something uh, to fit in with a, a group of commissions that he was doing from, from different um, Latter-day Saint composers uh, on texts by Latter-day Saint poets. Hmm. Uh, so if you, I, I know that uh, as a composer, you have to grapple with the idea of the text and sometimes right. it's you know, hard to find anything that you can really work with. Um, and so to narrow that field, I thought, I thought it wasn't going to be really constrictive, but I was really delighted to find uh, so many wonderful Latter-day Saint poets out there um, who had great things to say. Um, Lance Larson is one that I was really drawn to, but I was worried about working with his poetry because it's so rich. It's so um, uh, evocative and there's all kinds of visual images that are kind of, you know, playing through um, the lines and um, it's kind of, you know, multivalent. It's, it's really, it, you know, it's poetry that stands on its own. It doesn't need music to make it something better. And, and I felt like maybe I was going to ruin it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, um, you know, I, I told Glenn, uh, Nelson, who's a, a poet in his own right about this and, and, uh, he kind of, you know, indulged me a little bit. And then finally he said, you know what, wrestle that poetry to the ground and use it. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay, you know, um, and so I did, and, um, I was able to find ways to, um, allow the poetry to exist and do what it was doing while still doing something convincing musically, I hope. Um, and it was really, um, really deeply mean, deeply meaningful. I, all the poems that I worked with were, you know, initially his poetry is pretty, pretty hard to get into at times. You read it the first time and you're like, what was that? You know, there's something there, but I'm not sure what it is. And, you know, I usually had to live with his poems for a few days before I really um, felt like I understood what they were trying to say. Um, so, um, uh, but they, there's, there's rich meaning there. And, and, and um, I just love the way that Lance uh, approaches life and, and spirituality and, um, you know, some of the everyday objects that can um, be somehow spiritually meaningful. Um, so uh, this poem talks about, um, uh, I have felt the dead praying for me. And he talks about them as kind of ghosts uh, in nightgowns soaked with dew, kind of drawing their wispy ends over me. And it, it starts out in this, it feels like it's sort of haunting, right? And so mm -hmm. I try to convey that with the, with the setting of the music as well. Um, but as you go through the poem, you discover that it's actually, he's having these run-ins with kind of ghosts um, and they um, allow him to see deeper into who he is. Um, and the last part of the poem talks about um, uh, hands uh, dropping, dropping a bucket into his well and tracing initials that were scratched there before I was born. So it's kind of going down deep into, you know, the recesses of who you are and touching something that's very, um, you know, central uh, to your identity. And, um, and I, I thought that was really beautiful. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, in my, uh, you know, we talked about how I, I love to kind of reach across the veil, uh, try to try to 
talk about or or uh, at least touch on something spiritual in my music. I felt that this poem did it pretty directly and um, kind of connected us with with the unseen world. Um, and so I tried to do that with the music. And I, it, 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 the cool thing is, you know, that last line, scratched there before I was born, um, I feel like the initials of this musical composition were in place before I actually did the composition. Like one day I just sat down and I did these chords that they sound like um, Debussy's Cathedral Angluti, mm-hmm. uh, the Sunken Cathedral, which is also about this kind of mystical cathedral that comes up out of the water right. and sinks down. Um, and so uh, if, if the dead are praying for you, then, you know, where else could they pray for you better than in a sunken cathedral, right? Um, but uh, I didn't, you know, when I initially sat down and played these chords, I had none of this in my mind, but the connections have really come later. And so these initial chords, I just kind of sat down and they sound a little, they're, they're very evocative of uh, Debussy's cathedral, but they're um, kind of detuned a little bit. Um, and so instead of seeing the, the light of WC's cathedral directly, it's almost like it's coming, it's light that's coming through a stained glass window or something like that, because the chords are all just a little bit um, refracted, uh-huh. uh, which is also an image in, in Lance, Lance Larson's poems, in, in this specific poem. Um, and so uh, when I started this piece, I knew that I wanted to do something with those chords, and I didn't know why, and this has all kind of come to me later, why it's, why it's all connected. Um, so the beginning chords are just kind of um, uh, a distillation of those chords that you hear at the very ending um, and kind of the whole, uh, that kind of sets the tone for the whole piece. So, Awesome. Well, we are going to take some time here and we are going to listen to The Dead Praying For Me, performed here by tenor Brian Stuckey, who I happen to know back at BYU, uh, with Tracy Bradshaw at the piano.
All right, well, let's next talk about Hall of Mirrors, commissioned by the Albany Symphony to commemorate the Troy Saving Bank Music Hall. So I read your program notes under the YouTube video for this piece. Uh, could you give a version of those notes for our listeners and talk about the ghosts and rivers and other elements that inspired this piece? Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, we were supposed to commemorate this Troy Savings Bank Music Hall, which, you know, I'd never heard of it before. And I was like, this is really strange. We're supposed to write a piece about a building. And, um, but luckily I was in the, I was in the area for a conference and uh, around the same time and, and took a little side flight over to Albany and Troy um, to kind of see what this building was all about. And, you know, I'd read a little bit about it before then and knew that it, it had been this really, you know, historic concert hall um, where, you know, people like Paderewski had come in and, and done these huge concerts. Um, and uh, it, it um, uh, even just as I was flying in, I thought, you know, just what's the history of this place here? And as I flew in, we went over the um, kind of the Cohoes Falls. I could see them right out of my window beautifully. There are these beautiful falls there. And um, I just saw this river and I thought, I bet this river is really important to this place. And it turns out it is. I mean, it's the vehicle for the um, industrialization of the area. And it was really important for the kind of for the engine of, of industrialization there. Um, and as I sat down with my host there, I went was at a bed and breakfast there in Troy and um, told her that I was going to go to the music hall. And she just kind of went off on it, uh, how, how proud she was to have this hall here. And, and I could tell that um, the music hall had actually transform the way the Troy citizens see them in some ways. And so that was a really important part of, of it to me. And, and the, the ghosts of the performances of, of the years in the past had actually um, influenced how these, how these people um, saw themselves and how they connected with the arts. Um, and then I went to the hall and I actually took my recorder out and, you know, I clocked the amount of reverb time in the hall and, you know, just tried to get a sense of the place um, from, a, from an acoustic standpoint. And um, uh, walked around and played in it a little bit. It was really wonderful for me to have that have that time in there. And so the the result is uh, kind of a confluence of these um, sort of influences in this piece, where um, you know we we uh, have a sense of the ghosts of the past in in some sense. Uh, you can there's a section of this that's that's definitely influenced by the flow of the river. Uh, kind of moving forward. Um, and uh, there's some points in there where there's a middle part where you hear these really strong um, direct chords uh, that are just kind of repeated. And those those are actually meant in the hall to kind of have ghost chords. So that when they stop, you actually hear right in time an echo uh, of the chords. Um, so those were some of the things that I, I kind of played around with, with with this piece. The performance we'll hear is actually um, of David Zubay and the Indiana New Music Ensemble, um, who did it in a different hall, but it was uh, just just as effective. So, all right. So as you said, we're going to listen to Hall of Mirrors, performed by the Indiana University New Music Ensemble, directed by David Zubay.
All right, our third piece today is On the Cooler for a steel pan drum solo. So I'm curious, was this your first time writing for this instrument? Yes. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, you know, I've, uh, we've got a steel pan uh, ensemble here, Shaka Steel at BYU-Hawaii. And uh, so I've been to a few of their concerts, and it's a very different thing to look at this whole ensemble of steel pans um, and then just to write a, a piece for a single steel pan. Um, so, but I love the sound of the steel pan. I love this. I love the sound of the ensemble. Um, you know, it's typically associated with very, um, kind of dance music or, you know, jubilant sort of, mm -hmm. uh, sort of sound. And I wanted to do something that was, uh, that was very different. There's been some stunning solo steel pan pieces done, um, by some other composers. Um, and I, you know, I listened to some of those. I wanted to do something, um, that played with the pan itself. And um, the person that commissioned me to do this, uh, Daniel Edwards is his name. Uh, he's a former student of mine that was, uh, he was actually fairly talented in composition himself, but he went into percussion, uh, did his doctoral degree at the University of Illinois. And that's, that's where he was when he asked me to write this piece. Um, so uh, anyway, I wanna do something that was kind of uh, about the pan itself. Uh, and I discovered that, you know, if you just play around the pan, you get this sort of circle of fifths, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I didn't want to just do this straightforward circle of fifths. If you start in a certain place, you get you get something that's kind of twelve tone rowish to my ears. Um, and I, I, one of the first pieces I wrote uh, back at BYU was a twelve tone piece, and that kind of appealed to me in some ways. So I wouldn't call this a twelve tone piece, but it does have some you know dodecaphonic aspects to it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I play with that kind of circle of pitches in some different ways throughout the piece. Um, and it's, it also kind of stems from this idea. One night when I was um, just lying in bed, there was a rainstorm and we had a, one of those window cooling units um, that the rain started dripping on. And so that's, that's where the, the, the title on the cooler comes from is just kind gotcha. of these drops that were on the cooler. And, and I loved listening to them and hearing how, you know, they would drip, you'd get one drip kind of at the same tempo and then another drip at a different tempo and how they would interact. And um, so you'll, you'll hear me playing with that a little bit in this, in this composition as well. And it's a very introspective piece because that was kind of a very introspective moment for me. And, um, and I think the, the whole idea of playing inside the pan was also influential, introspective inside the pan. Uh, and I also do some things that actually treat the pan in an unconventional way where you're actually hearing more of the pan and the um, it's a softer hit it's a it, it, overall it's a softer hit you won't hear as much noise but it resonates throughout the whole pan a little bit more and it gives it a little a little different sound uh, that's kind of uh, ghostly I guess we got ghosts again there you go <laughs> all about ghosts today that's right yeah. all right well we're going to listen to on the cooler performed here by Daniel Edwards Thank you. 
And let's finish today with your work, Consolation for Piano and Violin. So I have two questions for you about this piece. First, mm -hmm. what is it about? <laughs> but second, uh, when you're approaching a large work like this that's over 15 minutes long, what is your process? Are you starting with motifs or planning out the direction before you get started? How do you work on a piece like this? Yeah, I wish I could say that there was, you know, some overall arching plan. Uh, I, I am concerned with architecture. And in this piece, um, it's it's been a while since I wrote it. But I believe in this piece, I was actually... Um, kind of consumed with the, with the golden section. Um, so the sections of, of this piece are carefully planned uh, as far as the timing goes. Um, and I think it, I think I'm pretty pleased with how, with how it worked out. Um, it seems fairly organic, um, which is what I hope the golden section is, is supposed to be. And, um, and I think it worked pretty well. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, uh, I, I think the initial motive is is uh, is pretty important, but um, it's also uh, you know I, I think you'll probably hear a connection between this piece and and a hall of mirrors with kind of those uh, those chords and and again I'm kind of picturing some sort of flow um, uh, of this uh, of these kind of stable piano chords that are that are rhythmically a little bit unpredictable. Um, and then kind of produce this, this flow through the piece. Um, but there's a lot of repetition here and that, that repetition is what's, what's kind of governed by, um, the golden section. Mm -hmm. So, so what would you say the, the piece is about? Um, well, I think I called it, uh, I had some different working titles for this. Um, I think at one point it was consolation. Uh, I, I, I don't know that I can articulate exactly what this, what this movement's about other than, uh, kind of, um, well, it's, it's kind of abstract music, right? <clears throat> Where the, the music itself was kind of what was speaking to me. Um, and not necessarily, I, you know, I didn't have a, a, a music hall to commemorate, uh, with this one or, or something concrete like that. Um, so, but I, I think it's uh, kind of kind of like on the cooler. It's a very a very introspective, and um, uh, you know, spiritual piece. So, okay. Well, we are going to listen to Constellation performed here by Iggy Jang and Jonathan Korth.
So Dan, what are you working on now that you can tell us about? Um, my latest work is a, a work for choir. I haven't done anything for choir in many years. And so I'm excited to get back to, um, to choir. I'm writing a piece for Dwight Bigler and the uh, Virginia Tech Chamber Singers. Oh yeah, I know Dwight. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Dwight's great. Uh, we sang together in uh, BYU Singers back in the day and we've kept in touch over the years. And uh, so when, um, <clears throat> when the uh, idea of doing a choral piece came up, I thought of Dwight and thought it'd be great to, to work with him and his group. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited about that. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned before, I, I'm thinking right now about a set of alleluias, um, but alleluias that are not. So I, I, I want to do something that's not necessarily um, got a, a string of thought through it that's, um, you know, maybe some sort of string of thought will emerge in the end, but I kind of want to do some, some uh, variations of Alleluia that are um, hopefully a little bit unexpected. Um, some elements of beauty, but some elements of, you know, uh, maybe some other types of emotions or um, affects that we might not usually think about associated with Alleluia to, to keep this thing interesting. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, if my listeners want to learn more about you, where are you located online? Uh, DanBradshawMusic.com. Um, and then I've got a, a few things on YouTube uh, as well. You can you can search up. So, Are you out there on any social medias or anything that you want to plug? Uh, no, I'm not a big social <laughs> <Okay. player. laughs> All right. And hey, listeners, uh, make sure that you take some time also to visit the Movable Dough website. I host the podcast through Anchor. Uh, but typically point people to my composer conductor page at sdcompose.com slash movable dough. There you'll easily find a full archive of every episode of movable dough, and you can listen to your favorite episodes again and again. Uh, you'll also find a link to the merch store and there get all your favorite movable dough merch. Uh, that's at sdcompose.com slash movable dough. Well, Dan Bradshaw, it has been a pleasure to talk to you and get to know you and your music better. Thank you for joining me today on movable dough. Thanks, Steve. It's been a pleasure. My guest today was composer Dr. Dan Bradshaw. If you have a recommendation for a future guest or an idea for the show, please email me at movabledoe at gmail.com. This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving.